everyone. I'm PCT Senior Digital Editor Brad Harbison. Welcome to today's podcast. I'm happy to have as my guest Mark Shep- Shepardigian, the Vice President of Technical Services at Rose Test Solutions in Troy, Michigan. We wanted to check in with Shep to talk about mosquitoes. And at this time of year, occasionally reports of mosquito-borne disease cases, such as the West Nile virus and the Eastern equine encephalitis, will pop up. And for example, in Shep's home state of Michigan, a local health department reported a resident who was suspected of having contracted Eastern equine encephalitis, which is also called triple E, and that's kind of how we're going to refer to it. So in our podcast today, we'll talk about triple E, mosquitoes, and a little bit about Rose Pest Solutions' mosquito control program. Shep, thanks for joining me. You're welcome, Brad. It's good to be here. All right. Um, Chef, maybe just to start with, can you kind of remind our listeners what Triple uh, E is and how humans can contract it? Triple E is a virus and it's a mosquito bit causes a mosquito borne disease. Uh, uh, there, while there are a lot of viruses that are uh, vectored by mosquitoes, Triple E is particularly nasty. One must say it while it is it's titled a uh, uh, equine, eastern equine encephalitis. And that would suggest it's a horse disease, but it's not a horse disease. Triple uh, E is a bird disease. Birds get it, it and it doesn't hurt them, except for a, there are a few species that are affected and, and take it hard and may die from it, uh, like pheasants and uh, and emus and other other a couple of other rather obscure birds. But most birds, like robins and cardinals, get it all the time, and it's no big deal. So it's a bird disease, and it's spread from bird to bird, primarily by a mosquito that uh, prefers birds and generally only bites birds. And in some references you'll read, they say it exclusively feeds on birds, and that would be the uh, the blacktail mosquito, uh, which is found in in swamps. Uh, so you have a bird disease, and then occasionally you will have a mosquito that bites both birds and people that has that is capable of carrying this disease and has bitten a bird that has it, and they bite a human. Now you got humans who can get it. Uh, it's a uh, it shows up in a number of mammals of of dead end. They're called dead end hosts because once we get the virus the virus is done after us. A mosquito cannot bite an infected person or an infected horse and then transfer it to someone else. They got to take it from a bird. But uh, with that, uh, with that being said, dead end, uh, dead end host, uh, when horses get it, uh, 90 to 95 percent of them die from it. That's a high mortality rate. Humans, uh, and you'll, and you'll, read in different sources uh different numbers but it's 30 to 50 percent will die from it and those that don't um may not come out the other side the same person they were uh before so it's a it is a really tough disease on uh, on people yeah and uh chef uh like you were saying uh really nasty stuff compared to some of the other, especially, you know, in comparison to some of the other mosquito-borne diseases. Um, Can you talk about the the symptoms of Tripoli? Uh, Tripoli, yeah, it's a, uh, um, 
like any virus, uh, it affects everybody differently. And uh, Triple E is much harder on those under 15 and over 50. That's not significantly different from what we know of other viruses, uh, but everybody's a little different. Early onset, light symptoms are gonna be the, the same as uh, for other viruses. You're gonna get headaches and, uh, and fever and chills um, and maybe vomiting, that kind of thing. Uh, when you get to encephalitis or um, meningitis or meningoencephalitis, which is kind of both of them, uh, that's when things get uh, pretty tough because then you go into um, you go into uh, uh, you're disoriented. Uh, you may uh, you may have seizures and delirium, and you may go into a coma, and uh, sometimes you die from that. Um, it's difficult to describe encephalitis. Um, I actually, uh, <laughs> um, in my uh, in my in my past, I've had that. I've done that. Viral, uh, I had viral meningoencephalitis. So that's the, that's both barrels. And I can tell you, it's nothing you want. You end up losing control of of your uh, of your uh, what? Losing control of your not so much your body but you can't think. It's like you're always distracted. It's like uh, what used to be your eyes in a full screen Panavision is now you're looking through a little hole in a fence to see the world out there. And it just gets farther and farther away and it's all you can do to get a message out. So people who have encephalitis can be in pretty tough shape. Yeah, and it's uh, no wonder, you know, people do hear those words and, and get a little, panicky and a little concerned. And um, Chef, as I mentioned at the beginning, you know, we had heard about the Triple E case in Michigan in which uh, it was a Barry County resident was suspected of having contracted Triple E. Just what are your thoughts on, on why Triple E may have been present in that area? Oh, it's, it's pretty well known, pretty well known how that happens. Uh, because the, um, the birds that harbor this, that reservoir this virus are all over the place. The mosquitoes that transfer it are swamp mosquitoes. The blacktail mosquito is, comes out of comes out of swamps, and the uh, uh, the cattail mosquito uh, is where there's emergent plants, usually cattails. So where you see uh, where you see a lot of uh, lakes and ponds and swamps and stuff, that's the perfect environment. And you'll see if you look at the uh, occurrences of Tripoli over the years. Um, it is most heavily in states that have that. Uh, the three biggest states for Tripoli, I, um, I believe, are uh, Massachusetts, Michigan, and uh, Florida, I think, um, in that order. And uh, while we are not the land of 10,000 lakes, depending on how you define lake, we have more than that. So a lot of water here in Michigan. And that certainly makes sense. And the areas where we see the human cases of Tripoli in Michigan correspond with that kind of thing. Understand that the mosquito that moves it around in the birds very rarely bites humans. And it's the cattail mosquito that more often bites both birds and humans. And that's what you call a bridge vector, getting that uh, from the birds into the humans. And that's why we see it in just a few areas. If you look at the uh, if you look at a national map of the counties where this occurs, it really is tightly focused. Yeah, and I, I think you sort of uh, kind of 
answer my next question in there, but I, again, I was kind of looking at the CDC data from last year, 36 triple E cases in the US and New England and Michigan really kind of hit the hardest with 10 in Michigan. Um, any other thoughts as, as to why, you know, again, those areas as opposed to other areas, maybe like even in the Midwest, for example, like why is Ohio, why, why are your neighboring states in the South, the case is not there, but they are in Michigan. That's a, that is a good question. And um, it may have to do with the local topography, how close people are actually in proximity to, uh, to the reservoirs and where the mosquitoes, the bridge vectors are, those mosquitoes that will actually get you, Tripoli. Um, I think there's a, I think there's a little more to it than that. You, you got to understand there's, um, there's probably a whole lot more Tripoli out there than people who mm -hmm. get it. It happens. It's a very unusual thing to have happen because it it's um, so devastating when it occurs, it has everybody's attention. Um, there are other diseases that are far more common, but they have much lower uh, mortality rates. Even West Nile virus, uh, far lower mortality rates. In fact, most people who get bitten by, uh, who get infected with West Nile virus, they either have no symptoms or very light symptoms, most people. Uh, it's only a very small majority that sh that show anything at all. Uh, whereas with Triple E, once you show it, this is this is not going to end well. And uh, like you said, not going to end well. And so you know, the the public is certainly understandably concerned about diseases like Triple E. Uh, what is the message that Rose and its technicians kind of share if they get questions about viruses like Triple E? Well, um, what we would like to, to have our clients told, um, our, the, our message to them is you can't, um, you can't live in fear of any virus and especially this one. Um, so the right thing to do is not to be, to be um, anxious or afraid, but to be vigilant and just take prudent steps and you'll be fine. Um, what you sh if it's triple E where focusing on, you got to remember the, uh, the most likely mosquito to give it to you is not active during the day. And so you don't have too much to worry about at all during the day, no matter where you are. Uh, once the sun starts to go down, uh, it's probably time to get inside or wear uh, long sleeve clothing or protective clothing or wear repellents or all of those things. No. Don't do all of those things. If you're gonna wear protective clothing and repellents, go outside. If you're gonna go inside, you don't need protective clothing and repellents, but uh, take those precautions uh, based on where and when you're gonna be. Uh, we, there's a lot of mosquito. Here in Michigan, we have, uh, we have close to 60 uh, species of mosquitoes, but only a dozen of them will bite people and even fewer will uh, transmit diseases. I'm sorry. So what's the message to the clients? The message is, uh, is be vigilant. Don't let mosquitoes bite you of any kind because there's more diseases than just Tripoli. Make sure that if there's mosquitoes around your property, it's not because you're growing them. So to be able to go out and, uh, and reduce the uh, um, uh, developmental uh, spots, uh, larval sites like, uh, like old tires, um, stored uh, buckets, something that's going to hold water and allow mosquitoes to breed. 
and uh, make sure that uh, that when you're out, you do take precautions. So I think that would be the best yeah. message. Sure. And uh, you know, again, with the kind of talking about the uh, the homeowner relationship there, and you know, there I know there's a lot of do-it-yourself and over-the-counter remedies being sold and marketed to homeowners. Uh, what are your thoughts on these products and remedies? Is there any value to them? Oh boy, yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of remedies out there, and we should probably talk about some of those. You know, some of them, uh, like the ultrasonics, uh, mosquito chaser, that kind of thing, have uh, zero um, demonstrated value. And for all the um, for all the marketing that they have, I know of no uh, science that has uh, found they have any effect at all. Um, there's, there's some other things out there that, that people see. Citronella candles, um, they smell nice, but do they chase mosquitoes away? Actually, there is some data that it works, but what that means is that in a relatively small space and the air is still, you could get some value out of that. But once the breeze blows, it'll quickly blow that stuff uh, to one side and then uh, mosquitoes will come in from the other. Um, there's bug zappers, but you know, people have been through the bug, the bug zapper piles. Now who would do that? Who would spend a long day picking through the piles of dead bugs from underneath the bug zapper? Well, the entomologists oh, that did it <laughs> found that a very small proportion of those insects were mosquitoes. They are light attracted but they don't show up there um, nearly as much at all, which is the, it's the same thing for uh, bats. People put up bat houses so that, uh, so that the bats will come eat the mosquitoes, but bats, bats don't eat mosquitoes. Okay, they do. They can eat mosquitoes. They will eat mosquitoes, um, but people doing uh, bat stomach content studies. That's where you cut the bat open and you look at its stomach contents or you break open its uh, its uh, droppings to decide what they've been eating. Um, to be honest, I'd rather go through the pile of dead bugs under a light zapper. Um, <laughs> but uh, they have found that it's, it's and I've, I've forgotten the figure, but it's like 2%. It is a very small amount of their diet is actually mosquitoes. So while it could be it could be an issue, it's not it's not going to help them. Uh, there are some really expensive uh, CO2 traps out there that uh, you hook up with a propane tank and it puts off heat and CO2, and they can amaze you with how many mosquitoes that they will draw in. Um, and there have there are there are some um, documented uh, uh, places where they where they've really. Um, made it had an impact on the mosquitoes that were around but other studies that have been done with them trying to reproduce this found that while they did catch tens of thousands of mosquitoes what they didn't do is they did not reduce the bite count um, which means uh volunteers will use volunteers <laughs> people who had no other choice uh would sit out and uh you would count the number of bites you'd get in a minute and that would be how you monitor whether these things are working and while they're capable of picking up uh, grocery bags full of dead mosquitoes, it doesn't change the number that bites you. So that's how that works. Mosquito plants, you know, they plant these plants around you, it'll chase the mosquitoes away. No, it won't. Uh, 
<laughs> if you really, if people really want a good, some good do-it-yourself stuff, the best thing is avoid the mosquito activity hours. That's like magic. Uh, the other one is if you want to sit on the deck, um, turn on a uh, fan capable of putting a breeze across your area. You only need five miles an hour. It's not enough to mess up your hair, and but it is <laughs> enough to mess up the mosquito's ability to find you. And uh, and that can help. That has way more effect than anything else we talked about. Interesting, uh, Shep. With uh, you know your your techs, your technicians out there at Rose Pest Solutions working in the field, um, what type of uh, do they take to safeguard themselves from mosquitoes? Well, our uh, technicians are um, trained for a lot of these uh, a lot of these areas, and they understand the uh, the dangers that mosquitoes pose. So uh, if they're in areas where there are mosquitoes, they know to wear uh, protective clothing and repellents, which is pretty much the best thing we can do for, uh, for a technician in the field. Um, for things like Tripoli, it is so tightly tied to a location and a time that it's easy to just avoid those times. But for others, uh, even for mosquito technicians who are out at night, doing adulticiding, um, they need to take precautions, which for the most part, uh, protective clothing and repellents are more than enough. Sure. And while we're on the subject here of talking about um, rose pest solutions and mosquitoes, there's, let's, can you talk a little bit about the, the rose pest uh, mosquito control program? What all is involved? We actually, uh, we have, we have several pro programs. We have, uh, um, we have one district that does large municipal programs for, um, for entire communities where they begin in the spring by doing uh, um, larval counts and uh, assays where they're checking for mosquito larvae, uh, where we uh, put larvicides in catch basins, and then we follow up by putting out traps and monitoring them. Uh, we have uh, places where we take the mosquitoes from the traps, and uh, if they're the right mosquitoes, we assay them for a West Nile virus. Um, and if there are, um, if we get mosquitoes positive for it, or if we get too many mosquitoes, even if they aren't positive for it, uh, we'll we'll do adult siding where we um, where we uh, make an application to the area to knock that population down. We also do, uh, in, um, in addition to that, uh, for the municipalities, the, the citizens of, the, of that community are able to call in uh, if they need help. And there's a certain amount of uh, treatment uh, that can be afforded to them within the, within the uh, uh, parameters of that contract. Uh, but that's a municipal thing on a, for a, like a private household. Uh, we do that too for residential and we may go out. You know, one of the things that has really uh, dominated the mosquito market these days is a barrier treatment using a, like a mist blower uh, to treat vegetation that surrounds the, uh, that surrounds a yard. If you've got a lot of that vegetation, this may work really, really well. For places that don't have a lot of vegetation and nothing to treat, this may not be so good. There might be some other things they need to do. Um, a much more, uh, um, a much more uh, kind of a full-throated approach 
is to go through and uh, make sure that you're not growing any of your own. If we can see where larvae uh, where larvae are growing, we can help um, we can help get rid of those. And if it's something that the homeowner can just do, like uh, rinse out the bird bath once a week, or uh, um, get a new tarp for over the boat because this one's got a hole in it and now the boat is full of stagnant water and it's been breeding mosquitoes all summer or uh, something like that. We can help them to uh, to do that. Some things we can just do ourselves. Yeah, I found a bucket. I turned it over. I recommend you leave this in the garage. Uh, things like that. If there are uh, larval, uh, if there are uh, larval sources that we can't get rid of and they can't get rid of, those can be treated with larvicides and there's a number of different kinds. So it's a matter of looking at that, making sure they're not growing their own mosquitoes and then looking around and seeing, seeing uh, what may happen from, uh, from, the, from the neighbors. If you can stand in the client's backyard and overlook the swamp, uh, they, may have, uh, they may have some issues. And some of those mosquitoes, including the cattail mosquito, um, has been known to show up a pretty good distance from from where they emerge, so that kind of thing can happen. So the programs that we do may maybe they may run the gamut between uh, um, between a simple barrier treatment to a, a much more complete mosquito program. And Chef, that sort of leads into my next question. Um, you've kind of touched on some of the nuances with the, the technician-client partnership. And you know why is that so important to having a, a successful mosquito control program? Well, of course, the, uh, the success of the program is going to uh, depend on how well you, you get the preventive uh, measures handled. So if you've got some real larval breeding sites and you don't do and nothing gets done about them you don't do anything about them or you recommend the client do it and they don't do it that's not going to work that's going to fail and so uh getting a partnership uh really is important so uh, the technician who, who recognizes that this is something the client needs to do but they're in no position to do it who can also say how can i help you with this Maybe we could do, could we go out there and do this right now? That kind of thing, uh, um, or or get them some help in getting this done, um, or explain. Here, let me show you. Look at these. These are mosquito larvae. I found these in your boat. Um, that kind of thing. Uh, um, if you once you get that partnership, then you really make things happen. It is the non-chemical, the non-application end of mosquito control that does all the heavy lifting. And that's why the partnership is so important. Yeah, it's interesting. It's always important in any part of pest control, but and I think even maybe more so uh, in mosquito with mosquito control. Um, Chef, question I have for you, my kind of my, my my last question I have for you on mosquitoes is just kind of forecasting ahead a little bit. Um, do you see mosquito control growing in popularity in the future as a service offering for rose pest solutions? Wow. I, I hope not. It's um, it's a it's a humanity thing, Brad. Um, our mosquito control, uh, our mosquito, yeah, the popularity of that generally goes along with the hype that's been given to what the mosquitoes are doing to the people. So last mm. year, when we had Triple E uh, all over the state, all over the state, we had Triple E in higher numbers than we'd seen in decades. 
oh yeah, big demand. Back when West Nile virus came in and had such a, such a big effect, oh yeah, big demand. So it seems that our demand follows um, epidemics and mosquito-borne diseases, and it's not so much attributed to uh, the nuisance of mosquitoes biting people in their yard. So from that standpoint, um, I really would like to see us, uh, we have plenty to worry about without mosquito-borne diseases. So the less of that we have, the better off we are. And if that depresses our market, we'll figure out another way to, to be successful. On the other hand, uh, as people uh, are able to settle into their home, like they have in the uh, past uh, six, seven months with, uh, with this here pandemic we got going on, there are more people spending time in their yard, more people sitting on the deck than they had before. And so that kind of thing starts to uh, get, people's, uh, get people's attention. That kind of, uh, of uh, growing market we could see and we would do that. We, we just wanna be helpful. Good deal. All right, Chuck, I'm gonna switch gears here. I know that uh, get away from mosquitoes and kind of totally switch gears here. Um, you are the current president of Pi Chi Omega, and for our readers that aren't aware, it's the International Pest Control Fraternity. I'm also a proud member, and uh, the organization just does great work and has been really great for the industry. And every year, you know, uh, Pi Chi Omega does a great job with programming at Pest World, and this year, you know, with Pest World going virtual, uh, Pi, Pi Chi Omega has also sort of pivoted, just like other groups. So, Chef, can you uh, tell us what to expect from, from Pi Chi Omega at this upcoming virtual pest world? Well, sure. We're, uh, as you know, we're a service fraternity for the urban pest management industry, and our mission is to connect and enrich the urban pest management community. And that means we want to bring people together so good things can happen. Hundreds of entomologists, pest management professionals, and researchers are already members, and we get together whenever we can. This year, because everything's a uh, virtual at Pest World, we'll have a booth and uh, you can stop by our, our booth and, and learn, about the, uh, um, learn about the requirements for membership. If this sounds good to you, you may wanna look into that. Visit our booth where you can explore that process and hear from some folks you may know who've chosen to be members and why they've chosen that. You know, you can, uh, you can also learn about the application process for scholarships. If you're a student in urban entomology, you may qualify for a scholarship. And while we can't give scholarships to everyone, it couldn't hurt to apply and we'd love to support your study. And uh, if you just wanna test your bed bug IDs, bed bugs, <laughs> some words just come out of you. Uh, if you wanna test your bug ID skills, we have this bug ID, we're gonna do a bug ID challenge. Take the bug ID quest uh, for a chance to win some cool prizes. and. Uh, and that'll all be at the booth, which you'll find in the uh, trade exhibit. We're uh, we're also going to have a um, our annual uh, annual. It's more than annual. Raise the bar event, uh, where we get together. Although that'll be virtual too, and uh, you may need to find that on the uh, you may need to find that on the website for Pest World. Good deal. Well, I. We'll second that. I encourage everybody to uh, check out the Pi Chi Omega booth at the Virtual Pest World. So, well, Chef, hey, um, great information. I really appreciate you spending some time uh, talking to us about uh, mosquitoes and also about what to expect from Pi Chi Omega at uh, Pest World. So, appreciate you joining us. Happy to do it, Brad. Good deal. And to all our listeners for uh, joining us, thanks for uh, listening and have a great day.